ASI Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is season four, episode 10 of the podcast. I'm sorry I'm bad. I'm sorry I'm bad. I'm sorry about all the things I said to you. And I know I can't take it back. I love how you kiss. I love all your sounds. But baby, though. I'm sorry. Yes, that is Sorry by the band Buck Cherry. And listen, Buck Cherry has a song that I don't like, all right? My, my convictions have a hard time with it. It's one of their hits. But this is also part of, like, why do you play some of the music you play? I've got those emails over the years. Part of it's my, my view of my Christology, all right, the way I see Jesus, and the way that I choose to filter um, culture, all right? Um, do I agree with everything Buck Cherry says? No. Uh, do I like this song and feel it impacts the heart? Yes, and absolutely. See, tolerance doesn't mean that you're convicted and then you just tell everybody to stay away from this thing that you're convicted about because that's alienating people. That That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was criticized by the, you know, the religious elite for hanging out with those people, right? Jesus would hang out with the band Buck Cherry, all right? Th that's part of why he was criticized by the abusive religious culture of his day. So, something Tim Keller said that really struck me, that um, tolerance isn't, you know, what you stay away from, it's how you treat other people. It's how you choose to engage other people. That particular song, um, it, it impacts, it, it resonates with me. It, it's hard to say you're sorry for some, right? And then for some of us, it's easy to say we're sorry, but it's hard for us to really mean it, you know? Like, we have to do some some work to get to the point where we can feel the impact uh, that we have on others and, and how that may be affecting them. And, the, and then to really reach in and apologize and say, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I wounded you. I hurt you in that way. Does that make sense? Hopefully that, uh, I'm articulating this a little better. Yes, this is one of those episodes where I'm driving. So if you hear road noise, that's what it is. Going back to some of my roots of doing the show, I do some of my best thinking right here behind the wheel. Just just driving and thinking about you all, thinking about how life has unfolded, so to speak. Uh, my name is Russ Shaw. The website for this podcast, asi247.org. My email, social media, contacts, all that stuff is on the website. Uh, as well as the book list. I wanted to talk about the book list a little bit because, um, again, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, right? And some of the stuff we feed our minds on a daily basis, um, really, it, it's kind of like candy or fast food for the brain, isn't it? 
So I just wanted to plug the book list a little bit there and say, hey, um, what are you feeding your mind? You know, that's something that I've been uh, been dealing with too. Really, part of it's doing the podcast. I kind of have to keep up with what's going on. But if I wasn't doing the podcast, would I really read as much or investigate as much or listen to audiobooks as much as I do? And am I am I trying to push stuff in from the outside? Or am I really looking for nourishment from the inside outward, right? So that life gets better. Um, talking to this new therapist that I'm talking to right now, it's really going well. Um, she Again, she's a doctor of psychology and social work, social science, that kind of thing. And uh, it's been really, it's been really good, man. Uh, thanks to Obamacare, <laughs> right? Let's be honest with you right there. Um, I, I didn't have before my insurance before. I did not have uh, the ability to see a, a psychologist or psychotherapist. But but now I do. And, and, and she's a believer too. And she talks about Jesus even. And uh, the ability to be, right? Like, did Jesus have a hard time just being Russ? Just being, just walking out his life and just being around, no, you know, it's like, that's the cool thing about Christians, is we get to follow Jesus, you know, and, and a lot of this is me, you know, understanding where, you know, some of my damage, and some of my ability to disassociate, and, uh, I, I, I disconnect, but anyway, I'm good at that, I'm good at just, right, I'm out, even what, even when I'm talking to you, nodding, acting like I'm listening. Uh, so anyway, um, I wasn't able to get Craig Gross this week. Our schedules didn't uh, mesh, but today got some intentional, purposeful audio for you. Check this out. This is uh, a book trailer from Donald Miller in his new book, Scary Close. Here you go. If you've read any of my books, uh, you know that Relationally, I haven't always been great in the romantic arena. I've always had good friends, but uh, I would get into these relationships and I go into what happened, uh, usually trying to rescue somebody or trying to be kind of the hero character. And then I'd get into these relationships with these girls, seeking security and basically, you know, talking about marriage too soon and these kinds of things. And then I'd get into them and resent the fact that I was so deep into this thing and maybe I don't actually feel this way and now this girl's heart's on the line. And that was a pattern that I did several times and until finally uh, uh, it, it went too far and, you know, somebody got hurt and, uh, and I got hurt. And I had a buddy kind of sit me down and say, hey, you can't, uh, you can't do this again. And, uh, and so I actually got help. I went to a place called On-Site Workshops that... It's a therapy retreat center outside of Nashville, about an hour outside of Nashville. That's a really cool, magical place. They do nine months of therapy in one week. And you show up and you turn in your cell phone. You can't give anybody your last name. They strip you completely of your identity. I mean, they didn't strip, you know, it's a comfortable place. They don't do that. But they strip me of my identity. All the little things that I would use to impress people I couldn't use. And then they just begin to unpack why you're doing the things that you're doing. And... By the end of it, you know, one of the counselors said, hey, I'd love for you not to date for six months and figure this stuff out. And I kind of came out of there wobbling, you know, going, you know, I don't know how to use these new legs because it was so effective that 
even the types of women that I'd been attracted to before I was no longer attracted to. They just had no appeal to me because I'd gotten healthy. And, um, and then I ran into Betsy again five months into that six months of not dating. And um, I, I'd always really liked her, but she never liked me back because she, I think she could sense I just wasn't healthy. And now five months into this thing, I'm doing great. And, and you know, normally change doesn't happen that fast. It did for me in that one instance. And, um, and so I, I asked her, you know, are you dating anybody? And she said, yeah, I am. Uh, I've been kind of in and out of this relationship for three years, but I'm in it right now. And, and not sure if that's going to work out. Great guy, but kind of splits his time between uh, D.C. and Africa. And, and um, I said, well, you know, I can start dating again in a month. <laughs> and if you're not in that relationship, maybe we could go out. <laughs> I can't imagine um, that. Never try that as a pickup line. I can start dating again in a month. Um, but she sensed something had changed. And uh, she, I called her a month later, and she ended up, she had gotten out of that relationship and needed some time to kind of heal from that. That was a long deal. And uh, that began our relationship that was slow for about six months. And then when we realized it was serious, drove out to D.C. But the whole point is, um, I think guys especially, they, they don't want to seek help. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I said, okay, this is rock bottom. Can't happen again. I want to change. And, uh, and it, happened. It, it happened for me. It, but it took, there's this neat thing as I study story that almost every hero in every story can't accomplish the task that they need to accomplish on their own. They have to, it's just a, it's a formulaic scene in almost every story. They have to go see somebody who helps them. So Katniss has to go see Hamish. Luke Skywalker has to go see Yoda. Uh, Billy Bean in, in Moneyball has to go see Peter Brand, Jonah Hill's character. They need a guide. And I, you know, a lot of men think the heroic journey is, I'm going to go out there and conquer the world on my own. Um, you were not designed by God to do that, and you will fail. Because he wants you to fail. He, he wants you to be humble and to go and to get some help. And so I know that there are people who are watching this and, boy, your relationships have been tragic or your marriage is tragic. And the hero goes and gets help and then destroys the Death Star and wins the Hunger Games. So that's the path, right? But it, 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 it passes through meeting a guide and getting some help. I don't know about love. Sure feels good at first Oh, every spring there's a honeybee that stings So things can change Oh, every fire gets too close and it reminds you Things can change But it sure feels good at first And some train there because it's springtime, right? Some uh, feels good in the beginning, right? Feels good when it starts love. Is that what love is? That's what affection is. But love is something else. Um, it's like when a new love relationship sparks, you know, and there's those feelings and they, and they rise up and that affection rises up and you think about that person a lot and you right you just want to be around them you, you can't even explain it you know there's that that love connection as they say 
And then, inevitably, in human relationships, there's always some kind of a conflict. And it has really blown me away, some of the reading, some of the stuff I've learned over the years, how much conflict resolution in a relationship can sustain or snuff out some of those feelings over time, some of those affectionate kind of um, feelings, right? And have us, instead of seeking out more affection, have us kind of sinking into ourselves, so to speak. Um, again, I, I've said this a lot, but there's this, this woman, I think she was a psychologist in New York, that talked about how marriage, right, the institution of marriage, and, and this is not a, a Christian woman, by the way. It, that's what was kind of cool about it. Like, she wasn't some preacher or priestess or nun or something. Not that nuns don't get married, but anyway. Um, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, she wasn't a moralist. But she was a psychologist who said that, you know, she'd been married for like 40 years. And she said that her husband and herself, you know, the institution of marriage kept them together when those feelings of affection and the feelings of love had kind of dwindled away over time. And they brought her back, right? They brought them back. This, this commitment to one another brought them back to the love and the affection over time as these conflicts get resolved. But conflicts don't get resolved without someone um, saying they're offended and someone apologizing, right? Uh, that's where conflicts come in. We pretend like we're not offended or we pretend like we're not going to say we're sorry or that we don't make mistakes and then the relationship's all about us, isn't it? Or we go underground in this kind of passive-aggressive thing when we're, we feel hurt by the other person. We just don't say anything. So then those love, affection, feelings start to get squelched down a little bit, right? Uh, Craig Gross wrote this book called Open, and, and he talks about some of that stuff and how, how what it means to actually resolve some conflicts. Uh, I wanted to, to, to also say that in the last podcast, because I had some stuff going on, and because my mind is kind of scattered about many times, um, I may have offended some of you in the in the last show, and I wanted to acknowledge that and, and, and say that right here. I wanted to apologize because I felt, listen, um, when you fill out those surveys and I ask you those 10 questions, some of those 10 questions are pretty personal, all right? There was one cat that filled out uh, about seven of those questions and maybe the last three were a little too heavy, right? And, and, and I, I get that. And I want you to, to understand that answering those 10 questions, uh, there's three different surveys there. That's like sacred ground, all right? Um, you're letting me ask you those things. I don't take that lightly. I want you to understand that. Like that's personal space of yours, even if you're anonymous over a screen, um, it's, it's still, it's still very real and it's still, um, intimate to a certain degree, right? And it's, it's like Paul Young 
would say. Paul Young says this very well. He says it's like it's like hallowed ground inside your own spirit, right? Those secrets, those places, those things that we don't share with most people. Um, and that's part of my passion for doing this podcast because is it good to like have these disciplines like I'm fighting my porn habit, all right? I'm fighting this compulsion, this addiction. I'm fighting that. But it's also important to understand that is it, again, is it good to have bounce your eyes, right? Those kinds of uh, disciplines, watching your thought life, um, having accountability software on your devices, having accountability partners in real life, right? Are all those things important? Yes, I do believe those things are important. Um, and I have talked about those things, and I will continue to. But there's also a very important part of, of being naked emotionally in front of someone else. Some of this stuff, I mean, the Bible has these themes, sexual themes of being known, right? It's not just called um, sexual intercourse in the Bible. It's called he knew his wife, right? Or he went into her, all right? These are, these are not just um, physical metaphors, but they're emotional, spiritual metaphors as well. And if, if, if you're not comfortable with being known, all right? I was not, I'm still not, right? I'm still not totally comfortable with being known, all right, to some people. But I know how good it is to um, open up some of these scary areas, some of these places, these sacred spaces that are that I've kept quiet or the rooms that are in my heart that I like to keep closed with the door locked and the security alarm on, right? Um, and that's not healthy for me. And, and, and so metaphorically, I'm going to keep talking about some of this stuff and I'm going to keep asking these questions and I don't want you to feel like I'm going to judge you or ridicule you. I'm, I'm, that's... Again, that is not my heart at all. But I, I do pray that you will have the courage to let me talk about them. And, and if I did offend you, you can, um, hey man, you can tell me, all right? It's russ at asi247.org. Um, and again, I, I, like I've said before, it is good to get counseling. It's good to get professional help. It's It's healing. Right? It's starting the ball rolling of long-term success in this area. If you fought this thing and tried real hard and, and you know, it's not, your relationship with God is not a do-better, try-harder relationship, all right? God's not your um, football coach, okay? God's not your drill instructor. Um, God knows you intimately, delights in you, loves you. And wants to see you live deeper, right? With a with a uh, more right? John ten ten a more abundant, flourishing life, and that's not just you having more stuff, but that's having better, flourishing, life giving relationships as well. All right, it's important that we we get to those places that I'm, you know, even many times criticized for 
But again, I've just heard too many stories of people that got all the software, did all the right things, did all the disciplines, but neglected this area and then found themselves relapsing over and over, you know, going a year, two years, and then relapse, and then not knowing why, and then quitting or giving up, and, and, and man, it's just not healthy, it's just not, it's not freedom, all right? It's not freedom. Learn a new definition of freedom. I'll challenge you with that. Because that's my heart. Um, I, another another thing I wanted to t- talk about today. Uh, Donald Miller doesn't do any interviews rather than trying to get him on the phone or on Skype or something. Uh, I, I appreciate the guy for doing... He did these book trailers about his book, which I thought were really cool. And I wanted to play you a couple. Uh, he has a book called Scary Close. Uh, I think it's really important. It's a great book. Whether you're single or married, it's really um, for both. It it really is because he was a single guy for a lot of years, kept sabotaging relationships. You know, um, maybe some of you single folks have been through some of that, like you having a hard time falling in love with someone because it just keeps falling apart or whatever. Um, He addresses that. He addresses married couples and how they can fake it and how guys can be addicted to like pornography, for example, because they don't feel close or intimate with their spouses. Um, Women can as well. Um, Affairs happen because we don't really get that close because it's scary close. (laughs) That's that's what the book is called. And uh, here's Donald Miller. I would have never, ever, ever thought that I was codependent because I'm so I'm such an independent person but again back at this therapy retreat center on site uh, our uh, you kind of break up into small groups and each small group has their own therapist for the week and um, she put our therapist put three pillows down on the ground and she had me stand on one pillow and another friend from the group stand on another pillow and there was a pillow in the middle and she said look this is how healthy relationships work this is Don's pillow, this is her pillow, and the pillow in the middle is the relationship. The only two things that you have influence on are your pillow and the relational pillow, not the other person's pillow. Never try to change them, never try to fix them. You just work on yourself, and then in the relationship pillow you go, what kind of relationship do I want? I want somebody who's kind and and fun and generous and outgoing and uh, who, you know, whatever. And then you explain that to the other person. Like, this is what I'm looking for in a relationship. Would you like that kind of relationship too? And if you both agree, you're compatible. And as soon as she said it, I realized, oh man, I've been all over all these girls' pillows (laughs) trying to change them or fix them or mad at them or whatever, instead of just going, I don't like this relationship. I'm out of here. That's it. Or I do like this relationship. But, you know, and then I've had the opposite where, where girls have tried to fix me and, you know, that's codependency. That's what codependency is. Uh, you know, Henry Cloud, who I also talk about, is one of my guides in this book. Um, he talks about the more independent you are, the more you can be one. And if you, you have to know who you are before oneness can ever really happen, that, that the independent parts of you never go away. And uh, so not only did I learn about codependency, I learned I was codependent. And uh, I, don't, I, I, still, I still see it happening every once in a while. Well, I'll... I'll try to get inside, you know, my wife's head or wonder why she's doing this. I'm like, wait, that's her. Like, get out of her head. 
what do you want your relationship to look like and try to make that as beautiful as possible, but let's not try to fix Betsy. Impressing people on social media, I think, can be uh, dangerous in one sense. Um, it's pretty easy for me to frame my life in such a way that people think I only go to beautiful places or hang out with you know, slightly famous people or whatever. Or, you know, in church world, I'm more religious or righteous than I actually am. And what happens is when I kind of project those images out into the world and then I begin meeting people in real life, I feel a disconnect. I feel a gap between the person that I was pretending I am and the person I actually am. That makes me want to hide. And so here in my attempt to connect with more people, I'm actually hiding from more people because I need to hide the fact that, well, every meal I cook doesn't look this good and every vacation I take doesn't, you know, end up in the Bahamas and, you know, those kinds of things. And, um, and so I think there's a real danger that in this attempt to be impressive, we connect with fewer and fewer people. And the lifeblood of a human soul is connection. It's connecting with other human beings on a deep level. And so all this attempt to impress may be, you know, may be making us more malnourished socially. That is from uh, YouTube. It's from the book trailers on Scary Clothes. You can look them up. There's, uh, this one, again, is for some of my folks who... The tough guys that listen. I don't know for what you guys listen. I'm not the toughest dude in the world. I guess I've been in a few brawls. I've been in some fights. Um, I look like the guy people ought not mess with. I'm, I'm that kind of dude, I guess. I am sort of rough around the edges. Uh, I do appreciate some MMA, right? <laughs> Mixed martial arts every so often. My wife's starting to get into it too, which is cool. They got the ladies that, that do the MMA now and and they'll have them in the, right? Anyway, so uh, this is for some of you guys who I, I wrote, um, I said something about how a lot of really tough guys, um, whether that's military or in sports, right? Some of these tough guys with a tough exterior are just kind of scared little boys inside, you know? And there's a lot to be said in that when it comes to dealing with our, our intimacy issues. And he talks about it here in this little uh, clip here. I love this. A lot of us feel like the person we are inside isn't impressive enough. And um, one of the therapists at OnSite said to me once, um, Donald, you know, animals, when they're threatened, often make themselves appear bigger than they are. <laughs> and I thought, it's not just animals, right? I mean, it's, it's, we, we tend to do that. At OnSite, you have these roommates, and... Um, I walked into the cabin that we were staying in and picked my bed, and somebody else walked in and picked their bed, and we talked a little bit, and then our third roommate showed up. There were three of us in the room. And within two minutes of this third roommate showing up, he had told us that uh, he was uh, a master at karate, and, and he could kill us, I think, within three moves or whatever. And we're like, okay, nice to meet you. And he just kind of had this tough exterior, and... Um, and then as the week went on, you know, I would say, hey, man, how are you processing some of this stuff? And he'd be like, well, I really don't like all this sentimental nonsense, you know, blah, blah, One night, he got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, and he went into the bathroom and kind of left the bathroom door open a little bit, so there was a crack of light shining across the room onto his bed. And the other roommate kind of knocked on his bed, on his, the bed he was sleeping on, and, and kind of motioned and pointed over at this other guy's bed. And there was this just 
ratty, well-used teddy bear sitting right by this guy's pillow. And I just thought, wow, karate sleeps with a teddy bear, you know? And I don't know why, but I just love the guy after that. And I just thought, man, this guy is playing tough to scare off threats when he's got this unbelievably endearing person inside him that he's not letting anybody see and nobody's connecting with his deepest self because he's got it covered up with this tough guy exterior that really is, you know, is probably a bunch of nonsense. And so, you know, and as the week unfolded, watched him move more and more toward letting go of some of that stuff. He still had it a little bit when he left, though. But. So that's what I mean when I say I think sometimes the story that lives inside us is more beautiful than the story that we, we project. And if we just trusted that story to the people around us, especially safe people, I think we'd, we'd have a lot more nourishment in our soul. Chapter 13, uh, I'm glad we're giving away this chapter too. It's, uh, it's about what it really takes to live a meaningful life. And you know, a huge paradigm shift happened for me when um, my youth pastor from when I was a kid passed away in an accident. I dedicated my book, Blue Like Jazz, to, to him. He was like a father figure to me in many ways, one of the most beautiful people I've ever met. He, um, you know, in Texas, you know, you kind of go from youth pastor to pastor, and then if you're really driven, you build a big old church, and you, and you write books, and, I mean, you know, it sounds weird, but in the South, you can become a pastor and get really famous and rich, and, uh, and you know, God bless them. Most of them are really awesome guys. I don't think there are very many criminal guys who are doing that, but... Um, but David never did that, and he was extremely talented. He was a great musician, a great songwriter, a great speaker. He was just great. And as I left the youth group and, of course, grew up and moved away and kept in touch with him, I noticed that his career went from you know, youth pastor to youth pastor at a smaller church to uh, associate pastor at this tiny church of 100 people. Uh, and I just thought his career kind of was going in reverse. And I would call him and we'd talk, or I'd stay with him when I was in Texas, and I'd say, man, you should write a book. And he'd go, yeah, I think I will. I think, you know, he'd start. And then he'd, he'd quit and he'd, you know, what are you doing? Oh, well, I got into this. I'm helping these uh, addicts with their recovery program. And he had people living in his house for... So when he passed away, I went to Texas and um, we were kind of going through his financial stuff and kind of helping his daughters figure out how to transition. And, um, I mean, he just died poor. He died poor. And poor in what I thought unknown at a church with 100 people that met in a little warehouse. And um, they asked me to do the eulogy at the funeral, and so I was preparing the eulogy. And, and the whole time I was like, boy, I wish the world had known David. It was sort of, He was sort of a wasted talent. And then they called me and said, Don, you know, the, the uh, funeral's not going to be at the church. We had to move it to this bigger church because enough people were coming. And I thought, oh, that's great. You know, David had a lot of friends, and it would be nice to honor him that way. And so I, you know kept working, and then they called again and said, hey, um, that church isn't big enough. We're going to meet at a baseball stadium. And I said, what? They said, we're going to meet at a baseball stadium on the edge of town. And so I go out to this baseball stadium, and there are cars a mile down the road, and there are news cameras with their towers coming out of the thing, and they're covering this guy's funeral. And, I mean, it was, it was you know, unbelievable to me that a guy could kind of play small ball and never seek fame and love people one-on-one -on -one for that many years and have, and have become kind of that infamous. Uh, and it was a sobering moment for me to realize that all the metrics that I was using to decide somebody's life is meaningful are, are hogwash. It's all, it's all bait and switch. That, you know, 
I've sold lots of books, and, and there wouldn't be a fraction of that many people at my funeral, and even the fraction of those people probably wouldn't have had a very deep relationship with me. And so it began, that began the process of me figuring out, okay, I need to impress fewer people and actually deeply connect with more. And if, if I want my life to look like this, and I do. And um, so, so that chapter is really about uh, just the psychology of what it actually takes to experience meaning and have a rich, deep, beautiful life that, uh, that is filled with people and filled with love. And that became kind of the new horizon that I wanted to head toward. Yes, that is a good story, you know. I've always thought that even as a younger man, I started to realize that there was a friend of ours who died. I mean, this guy was rough, but he was just the kind of dude who who you wanted to be around, who, who you knew accepted you for who you are. He wasn't real judgmental, and when he died, it was kind of like that, you know. And, and after that, I kind of saw this gauging success not on how much stuff you can accumulate or how much money you can make or how much you know wealth you can leave to your kids. No, it's more how much heart impact you have on others and, and how many people are going to be at your funeral, right? It's something to think about. Um, anyway, the book Scary Close, again, is on the book list, ASI247.org. Click on the books, I think it's right there. I wanted to end the podcast with some hope today instead of playing a piece of music like I usually do. I, I, when I thought high school boys couldn't be more deviant like nowadays, it's just so hard with the sexual culture today to see any hope. And, and these guys gave me some hope, and I wanted to share that with you. It was... I don't know if you've heard of this No More campaign. There's a lot of, uh, here in the United States, there's a lot of famous athletes, and they get together and they do these No More against sexual assault. Well, this high school, they weren't paid to do it. They didn't do it because they had to. They did it because they want to. So this is uh, from, from my state here in Washington State. The Tumwater High School boys put this together. It's the No More campaign. For sexual assault. Gives me some hope. I love you guys. Till next time, I'll hand it off to the Tumwater High School boys. Bye. The following numbers were obtained using national statistics and applying them to Tumwater High School. Actual data from THS is not available. There are 573 girls currently enrolled here at Tumwater High School. Thirty-three Tumwater High School senior girls will be sexually assaulted before they leave Tumwater High School and I say no more. Thirty-nine Tumwater High School junior girls will be sexually assaulted before they leave THS and I say no more. Thirty-seven Tumwater High School sophomore girls will be sexually assaulted before they leave Tumwater High School. And I say, no more. Thirty-six high school freshman girls will be sexually assaulted before they leave Tumwater High School. And I say, no more. The 
That is 143 Tumwater High School girls who have been or will be sexually assaulted by the time they leave THS, and I say no more. Ninety percent of girls that are sexually assaulted are sexually assaulted by someone they know. These are our friends, girlfriends, students, and classmates, and I say no more. Only 99 of the 586 Tumwater High School guys have discussed sexual assault with their friends, and I say no more.